I am purposely going to skip children's time today, so, so um, don't think I'm totally losing my mind. Is that okay? Is it okay if I skip children's time this morning? Yes? Okay, thank you. Um, as we um, continue in this, um, this seeking to understand the disciples' path and, and seeking to understand how it actually is that we become people who live and love like Jesus so that we can make a difference in the lives of other people, um, we are being introduced to um, spiritual disciplines or these spiritual practices that have been uh, used throughout the centuries by followers of Jesus. These these practices uh, that um, we are told that if we do, in a, a mysterious way, in some regards, shape us and form us. Because, you know, uh, they don't directly form us themselves. And, and uh, this is one reason it's hard for us as we talk about spiritual practices is because in our Western world, uh, we like to be given a, a book that says, do A, B, and C, and D will happen in three days. Yes? Isn't that what we like? Um, do all of this, and then we like to be given a time frame because, you know, if it says it happens in 30 days, we're like, hey, I'm not sure I want to do that because I'm not sure I want to wait that long for results. Yes? Um, that, that tends to be how we operate. Um, but you see, um, when it comes to our dispositions and our attitudes being shaped and formed, they, we didn't get to where we were overnight. Yes? And so it's going to take time for us to be shaped and formed um, and to recover the image of God that is within us. And yet it is important that, that we do these things. In fact, someone says we do the, I can't remember who it was, if it was Dallas Willard or somebody else said, our responsibility is to do the connecting and God does the perfecting. So our responsibility is to connect with God. Our responsibility is to put ourselves in a place where we can experience the presence and the grace of God, where the Spirit can uh, work deep within us. And so uh, these spiritual practices or these spiritual disciplines are a way in which we uh, put ourselves place ourselves in God's presence and um, seek to open ourselves so that we can be connected to God. And in doing so, we trust that as we offer ourselves in these practices, that, um, that in God's divine time and God's divine way, he begins to produce within us these dispositions um, and begins to do things within us beyond what we could ever dream or imagine um, and his love and his grace begins to overflow uh, from us and through us. And, and today we're going to take a look at, at Scripture. Last week we looked at prayer, and this week we're going we're to talk about Scripture and the place of Scripture and, and how we use Scripture in, in a couple of different um, spiritual practices to help ourselves grow and be shaped. Uh, for indeed, the purpose of Scripture is to shape our lives so that they do indeed look more and more like Jesus. And I believe, I believe firmly that as we, um, over time, as we intake this breathed Word of God, 
that in time as we um, intake and allow this to be absorbed into our being, that we begin to think like God, we begin to love like God, and we begin to live uh, like God. Uh, but the reality is, is that um, we aren't always impacted by Scripture in that way, are we? Um, oftentimes, it seems when folks read Scripture, they talk about either how difficult it is to understand or um, various things like that. And so I thought today, we're going to read from Scripture and see, um, see if we can get some clues here. And then we'll talk about um, how we might uh, begin to study and interact with Scripture. And I thought we would begin with uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is a passage that's going to be familiar to you. It's a passage almost always when I speak about Scripture I use, and I tried to find a way to not use it today. But the more um, I look, the more it's like, you know, um, I'm going to read it again. And so here are these words from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. Now, I'm going to tell you, as I read this passage again, as I tried to avoid it, you know the phrase that stuck out to me in here? So that. Now, that's a strange phrase to jump out, isn't it? Often when I've taught this, I've really focused on how Scripture is useful for showing mistakes and corrections and training character. But this time, for some reason, when I read it, the so that jumped out at me. Uh, because any time we see in Scripture those two words, so that, we ought to pay attention to what follows. Because it's telling us the purpose for which we do this. And so it says, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. And so the purpose uh, uh, of being in Scripture is so that we can be equipped for doing good. In Romans, Paul says a similar thing, um, that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice so that we might know God's will and God's ways and so that we might do good and, and everything that is pleasing. And so the purpose of Scripture is so that we might do the good for which God intended us, or as I like to say, it's so that we might live and love like Jesus, yes? Well, now, our response to Scripture um, can be different than what, um, what I read in the Old Testament. Um, in uh, Psalm 119, there's this entire um, psalm that is 176 verses. And all 176 verses are about how the author of the psalmist thinks about Scripture and what they think about Scripture. Now, I'd like to read all 176 of these verses to you. And I thought about maybe I'll just read Psalm 119 and then we'll go home. Uh, but, um, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. But it begins, it says, Those whose life is blameless, who walk in the Lord's instruction, are happy. 
And in this, I'll just remind you in the psalm, when we hear the word instruction or law or commandments, it's talking about the Torah. It's not just talking about pulling out a command out of Scripture, but it's talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And if I had the kids up here, they'd tell you what they are because they've been learning them on Wednesday night, right? You know what they are? What are they? All right. Did you all get that? Um, and so what they're talking about is that they're talking about not just knowing the names, but knowing everything that's in there. Have you got that yet? No. Okay. That's okay. We're working on that, right? We got plenty of time, right? We got plenty of time. Um, but uh, we, we, so when it talks about the instruction, it's talking about the entire Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Um, and so I am going to read um, 97 through um, 104, I think it is, from 119. Um, and and this, is a, this is a poem that has uh, eight, uh, 22 sections, one for each letter of the, of the Hebrew alphabet. But in, um, in verse 97, it begins this way. I love your instruction. I think about it constantly. Hmm. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies because it is always with me. I have greater insight than all my teachers because I contemplate on your laws. I have more understanding than the elders because I guard your precepts. I haven't set my feet on any evil path so I can make sure to keep your word. I haven't deviated from any of your rules because you are the one who has taught me. Your word is so pleasing to my taste buds, it's sweeter than honey in my mouth. I'm studying your words. That's why I hate every false path. Is that often how we think about Scripture? You need to go home and read Psalm 119 and um, see um, how many of the uh, phrases that are in there describe the way you talk about Scripture. Okay? And if not, maybe we need to begin to ask ourselves why. And then one more passage I want to look at comes from, actually comes from Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, and, and the book of Nehemiah um, comes from a time after the Israelites have returned from exile in Babylon. It's always important as we read Scripture to know where we are in the story uh, so that we, we have a flavor for what's going on. But, but Nehemiah is after the Israelites have come back from Babylon. They, they're back in Jerusalem. They've been allowed to rebuild the city and to begin rebuilding the temple. And so they are beginning to rediscover things that they had forgotten about. And one of the things is the Torah, the Bible, the first five books. And, and so we're told in Ezra, it says, When the seventh month came and the people of Israel was settled in their towns, all the people gathered together in the area in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the instruction scroll, that is the Torah, uh, from Moses, according to which the Lord had instructed Israel. And so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the instruction before the assembly. This assembly was made up both men and women and, and anyone who could understand what they heard. And facing the area in front of the water gate, he read it aloud from early morning until the middle of the day. 
I'm worried about reading 176 verses of, of Psalms, huh? From, from um, early morning to the middle of the day, he read it in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and everyone listened attentively to the, to the instruction scroll. Everyone listened attentively to the words that God had written and given Moses. It says, Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for this purpose. And standing beside him were um, Madahiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maseath. Now don't get worried about those words, okay? Um, and on his right side there was Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkiyaha, Hasham, Hashbadnadna, Zechariah, oh, I like Zechariah, that's an easy one to say. <laughs> Meshaluma. Y'all got all those names? I don't think it's important who they were. The point is, is that there were, there were real people standing next to him. And, and so he had people on his right and left. And it says, standing above all the people, Ezra the scribe opened the scroll in the sight of all the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen. And amen, amen means let it be. So as they heard the words, they said, let it be. Uh, and at the same time, they were raising their hands. Oh my goodness me, can we do that in a Methodist church? Can you raise your hands? Come on. That, that's not too bad, is it? Huh? I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm asking you to stand up and dance. And raise your hands, right? I'm just asking. There we go. Thank you, Pat. I knew I could count on you if I just stuck with it long enough. Um, while raising their hands, they, and they bowed down. They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then it continues, and it says, The Levites, Jeshua, Banai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabethai, Hodiai, Masiahai, Kelita, Azeroth, uh, Josabad, Hana, and Paleah. And I know I'm, so forgive me for pronouncing your names wrong. Uh, Help the people to understand the instruction while the people remained in their places. So there were people who helped them to understand. See, uh, there's always been this anticipation in Scripture uh, that we need those among us who help us to understand Scripture. Um, and um, they read aloud from the scroll the instruction from God, explaining and interpreting it so that the people could understand what they heard. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God, don't mourn or weep. They said this because all the people wept when they heard the word of instruction. They wept when they heard the word of instruction. I wish he had gone on to say more, but I, I suspect they wept because they had been in exile and they hadn't heard it for so long. And to hear the scrolls read aloud again. 
and to be reminded of the goodness and graciousness of God and how God called them to live, I suspect that they just wept at the joy of hearing the words that God had written for them. And they continued and said, go eat rich food and drink something sweet. Um, We're going to do that after worship today, okay? Um, He said to them, and send portions of this to any who have nothing ready. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't be sad because the joy from the Lord is your strength. The Levites also calmed the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Don't be sad. Um, Then all the people went to eat and to drink and to send a portion and to have a great celebration because they understood what had been said to them. Do you hear the joy and the celebration upon hearing the word of God? Uh, this, this chapter continues. It says they repeated this on the second day. Um, and, and in fact, they repeated this all week long. And, it, and in the very last verse of this, it says that Ezra read from God's instruction scroll every day from the first until the last day of the festival. The festival was seven days long. They kept the They kept this festival for seven days and held a solemn solemn assembly on the eighth day. Everyone with ears to hear, may you respond to God's word this day. Do, Do we see how the people in the Old Testament responded to hearing God's word? Why is it that today, when, when I, mean, I mean, you know, in Old Testament days, everybody didn't carry a Bible around. You realize that, right? I mean, they had these big scrolls that had to be stored away and had to be read in public. Why is it today when we have Bibles after Bible? In fact, the average Christian home, I'm told, has, we, we have nine Bibles in the average Christian home. You don't want to know how many, how, many, how many Bibles there are in a pastor's home. A few more than nine, right, Kobe? Um, uh, but, but why is it when we have all this access to Scripture, we, we often don't know it as well as the folks in the first century did? Why is it we don't respond to the Word of God with such joy and thanksgiving? Why is it we do not respond to the Word of God in a way that says, let it be so in our lives? I wonder if part of that is, is that especially in the Protestant church, as I was thinking about this this week, we we have this habit in the Protestant church that uh, somewhere along the line, about third grade, we give kids their Bible and we say, go read. We don't spend a lot of time saying, here's how to do it, right? We, we, and so, you know, if I'm in third grade and I'm handed a book about go read, my first thought is, is this like my history textbook? Is this like my science textbook, right? We often read Scripture the same way we read our school books. We read it as if we're looking for information, right? So that when the pastor asks me a question, I can say Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy so that, so that I can give an answer. We often... Uh, Read Scripture in a way that we just are seeking information. 
And way too often, we end up being more like the Pharisees than like Jesus when it comes to what we use Scripture for. We look at Scripture for information and knowledge so that we can win an argument, so we can tell other people what they should do or how they should live. Or what's become more and more common is, um, let's see, um, what's the most pressing issue of the day? Let me go through Scripture and see what it says about whether or not I should fill the hole in my driveway. Oh, wait a second. Um, but, but oftentimes we read Scripture trying to answer questions that, that are raised in the day. This is why, like Genesis 1 and 2, it's so sad. It is so sad. We miss the beauty of Genesis 1 and 2 because we now only read those passages as if they're all some argument with uh, uh, evolution. Guess what? In Moses' day, they didn't know a thing about evolution. And so to read those passages as if that's what they were about just causes us to lose the beauty and the real intent of those passages of Scripture. You see, so often we want to read Scripture in a way that we just gather information or knowledge so that we can repeat it back, or so that we can try to use Scripture as an argument about a present-day issue. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think Scripture does speak into present-day situations. Trust me, there is nowhere in the Bible that says evolution is wrong because of this. Because when the Bible was written, evolution wasn't anywhere in their minds. Does that make sense? And so when we read Scripture with these issues in mind, we begin to control the text. We begin to shape the text and say, well, this is all the text can say. And we miss We miss God speaking to us in Scripture. What if we began to read Scripture with this understanding that it is intended to equip us so that we might know the will of God, so that we can do the good that God intended, so that we might know who God is, who we are, and the relation and and how we, we are supposed to live in relationship to God. What if we agreed to read Scripture? Understanding that we read it so that we might grow in this, in, in, in our ability to express a supernatural love and grace so that we might love God and love others better. What if we began to read Scripture in that way? What might happen? What if we began to read Scripture rather than going to the text looking for something in particular, that we begin to read it as it's intended to be read, as story? As a story uh, that goes from beginning to end. A story that has a beginning that tells us that God created the world um, and, and said it was very good. A story that has an ending that says when all is said and done, heaven and earth will be reunited and people will live in communion with God once again as they did in the garden. And it has a middle. It has a middle sharing with us how the world 
is not as God intended, but what God is doing to move it toward His intended purposes. What if we began to read the Bible uh, as its whole, understanding when we read each book where we are in the story so that we might understand how that particular author interacts with others? What if we began to read Scripture in its context, understanding that Scripture was not written yesterday? That it needs to be read in the times that it was written. You know, in the Old Testament where it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we like to use that as a passage that says, see, when somebody does something bad to me, I'm supposed to retaliate. When in reality, that was written in the Old Testament in a time when if someone lost their eye, they killed their neighbor. It was intended as a passage to limit, not demand that's what we must do. What happens when we begin to read Scripture in the context in which it is written rather than pulling it out into our time and making it say things it does not say? What happens if we begin to read Scripture in conversation with itself and we understand that there's different authors and in different times and we have to discern and interpret and understand what happens when we begin to read Scripture with each other? I don't know about the other groups, but I know the group on Thursday, you you know, there is this power about reading and studying about God's ways in community, uh, reading Scripture and, and reading about spiritual practices in community in which we get to hear other people's perspectives and their stories of life. And, and we begin to see how Scripture has impacted them. And they help us see and hear Scripture differently. You see, it is important for us to read Scripture in that way. There is a place and time for us to read Scripture where we dig deeper and we ask the questions of the who, what, when, where, how, and then the so what of Scripture. But there's another way also to read Scripture that I think that we we often fail, and it's to read Scripture with our hearts. Rather than taking large chunks of Scripture, it's to take a verse or two and to read it over and over in, in the tradition they called the Sectio Divina. It was this way of reading Scripture, meditating on it, rereading it, listening for what it has to say. It's a way today that we can read Scripture. If we just take the same passage of Scripture like John 15, 1-5, and we were to read it day after day after day after day. Each morning when we get up, just allowing the words to flow through us, we would be amazed at how simply reading the Scripture, listening to the words of Scripture, not to dig it apart, but just to allow ourselves to absorb it, we might be amazed at how much of a difference that that makes in our lives. And so I just want to suggest to us as we continue to move forward and understand what it means uh, to be on a disciple's path, I want to encourage you to take whatever next steps you need to take in your Scripture, in your study, in your interaction with Scripture. Because I know uh, church after church after church, pastor after pastor after pastor, speaks about 
the lack of interaction that congregation and members of congregation, never has the Bible been so accessible. And yet, never have the people of God failed to interact with Scripture in meaningful and deep ways. And so this is my challenge to you. Uh, don't try to do everything at once, but figure out what next steps you might need to take. But, but here's my suggestion. Uh, you, you know, start, start with finding a, a passage of Scripture that already speaks to you and, and read it each morning. Just read it and listen to it. And if you, if you want to get extra credit, Read it at lunchtime and at dinner time. Read it two or three times a day and just meditate on it every day. Uh, but don't stop there. I want to encourage you once or twice a week, set aside a significant amount of time, 30 minutes, an hour, um, to take a bigger part of Scripture and, and to dig into it a little bit, to, to really ask the questions about the who, what, and where is going on in. Or um, the simple questions to ask ourselves when we, when we read Scripture is, is, what do I learn about God in this passage? What do I learn about humanity? And what do I learn about the relationship that God wants to have with humanity? Find some questions that you ask yourselves uh, that you take and dig deeper in a larger part of Scripture. And then the other thing you might do for those who are just not familiar with, with uh, much of... There's a wonderful um, website called thebibleproject.com. And we need, we need to make sure this gets out on the newsletter this week. Bibleproject.com. Um, and on there, there's some wonderful work that's been done. You can actually watch an overview of every book of the Bible. Maybe you even start with that. You just, you just start with Genesis and go through Revelation and listen to this overview of every book of the Bible. And it'll give you a flavor for the entire story and the trajectory of Scripture. Um, that's another way for you just to get familiar as you begin to, to find ways to take a book of the Bible um, and, and spend 30 minutes to an hour once or twice a week just digging deeper into that particular book of the Bible. So, so those are simple things, aren't they? Uh, figure out where you need to start, and instead of saying, that sounded good, someday, someday I'll do that. Don't even wait till tomorrow. Begin today. Begin today, because this is a reality, folks. This is God's written revelation to us. This, this tells us who God is, who we are, and what that relationship is intended to be. And this is what I have found out, and this is what I have heard from other people who have taken the time to do that as we begin to dig deeper into our Scripture as we begin to listen and not just seek information or not just seek arguments, we will change. We will be transformed. And I can't tell you, like, do this for a week and you'll be people who live in love like Jesus every moment of the day. I wish it were that simple. It's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. 
But what happens over time is we allow Scripture to get deep, deep within us. We become people who think more and more like God. We become people who love more and more like Jesus. We become people who act and live more and more like Jesus. And in fact, we can become people who naturally and freely express love and joy and patience and peace and gentleness and kindness and generosity and hospitality. But we can't become that kind of person unless we remain connected to God in prayer and through Scripture and in the midst of community. So don't delay. Begin today. Seek God, and He will not disappoint. Amen?